The following content is suited for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Welcome back to another episode of Infertile Millennial. If you are a returning listener, you will know that I have taken a short break, but we are back with regular episodes of the podcast. And today we have special guest Candice. She is going to be sharing her story with infertility, miscarriage, and pregnancy after PCOS. So we're just going to get right into her story because I know some of you have been waiting for the podcast to come back. So everybody, please welcome Candice. All right. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, when did you get married? Uh, Did you start trying right away? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm from Los Angeles. I um, have my husband who is here, who's originally from Georgia. Um, We got married in 2019, April 2019. We met back in college. We dated kind of off and on for a couple of years, um, but we've known each other since 2011 or 2012. So it's been a while that we've been in each other's lives. Um, We got married and I kind of thought whenever we are ready to get pregnant, we'll, we'll be ready and we'll know. So we didn't start trying right away. I was under the assumption that it was, you get off birth control, you have sex unprotected, you realize your period's late a couple of times, um, you know, a couple of days later, and then, oh, you take a test and you're pregnant. So I honestly wasn't really thinking about it for the first six, eight, 12 months of our marriage, maybe. I would say probably 10 months um, into it. I was like, well, let's get off of birth control, see how we feel, Um, you know, if, if that's something that we're ready for. So uh, I got off of birth control in January 2019, and that's kind of when I realized that things were not going the way I always thought that they would go. I immediately started noticing that, you know, my skin was going haywire, and um, I was kind of bloated, like around my midsection mostly. Just, I felt out of whack. And that's kind of when I realized, okay, you know, there's something going on. And then that was even before we started trying. So I kind of realized that something was going on even before, before that leap of faith into the the trying to conceive world. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all go into it thinking this is going to be so easy because everyone else I know got pregnant so easily, you know, and you kind of are just like, Yeah, I remember like my husband and I in the beginning, he kind of had like a panic attack almost of like, oh my gosh, we're actually doing this thinking it's going to work right away. And then, you know, here we are almost like seven years later, you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's crazy. Yeah. I know. So, it's, it's it's nuts to think back like how naive we we may have been. And it's so easy for some people and that's so wonderful. But for so many others, it's not. And we are just not aware of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got off birth control and you were starting to feel like something might be wrong. And then when you started trying, did you use any type of like OPK or anything to kind of track your cycle? Yeah. So in January, when I got off, um, we weren't trying, but we weren't not trying. Um, it was one of those things where if there was a condom around, the condom was around. Okay, great. If it wasn't, then it wasn't. Um, and I then around May or June started thinking, okay, you know, let's, let's start trying. I I read about OPKs. I was a part of a couple of Facebook groups um, of people who were trying to conceive. And I thought, okay, that's what they're doing. That's what I'm going to do. Like, let's do it. Let's try. Um, Let's jump in head first. So the OPKs for me was one of the biggest red flags. Um, I was I was thinking back, it was so stressful for me. I was peeing on those OPKs every morning, sometimes twice a day, just like hoping to see a positive. And for me, I saw a positive every single time. And that's when I was like, this is weird. I, I'm obviously not ovulating every day of the month. Uh, you know, something's going on. Um, and in the meantime, I had only had one period and it was a very heavy period, very painful. Um, 
you know, it was just the period from hell is what I told my husband. I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Um, we started trying, you know, like I said, around May and June with the OPKs and I kind of didn't know that it was a red flag until a couple of months later when the people in these Facebook groups that, you know, were saying, oh, we're trying with OPKs got pregnant. And I was like, what is going on? Why I'm doing everything that they're doing. Why, why am I not getting pregnant? And between June and October, I had one more period again. So between January and October, I only had two. And that's when I started realizing, okay, Candace, something might be wrong. Let's, you know, and, and it at first was kind of like, let's not panic. It's probably your body detoxing from birth control. Um, let's go to the OB. Let's get a pap and let's figure it out. You know, let's just chat with, with OB. And that yeah. was kind of the beginning. So you probably were thinking, okay, maybe all of these cycles are irregular because I got off birth control, which I think would be like a normal thing for someone to feel who, I mean, I don't know, how long were you on birth control for? I was on it since I was 14 and I got off when I was 27. So like, okay, like 26, so like 12, 13 years. So a long yeah. time. Because I, I could see how someone who'd been on it for so long, they might be thinking, well, maybe this is normal, like my body is just adjusting. And so, you know, somebody who didn't know you were on birth control might be like, um, that's a red flag. But because you'd been on it so long, I can totally see how you might be like, maybe this is normal. And so often I feel like doctors even will kind of brush it off anyway and like, oh, you're getting off birth control, your body is just adjusting. So I totally can see where your mind was at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't even know my body without birth control. Um, I don't I don't know what my periods are like without birth control. I don't know what my weight is like without birth control or my skin or anything, my moods. So it was all very new to me as an adult. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was thinking this, this is normal. Let's just go to the, the OB. Let's get your routine pap. Let's talk to them. And I'm sure it's nothing. And and it, it wasn't nothing. <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of everything for, for me and for my husband and I. So it was in October that you went to go see a doctor? Yes, October of 2020. Okay, so what ended up happening during that visit? Yeah, so that was um, a very brief conversation with my OB. She said, well, it sounds like PCOS, but of course I wanna take some blood and get an ultrasound and, and take a look but I'm pretty sure you have PCOS and then kind of sent me on my way. And I remember calling my husband because no one knew that we were trying at the time. We hadn't told our families and, and we wanted to surprise them because that was always very important to me was being able to surprise the people in my life. Like, Oh, surprise, we're pregnant. You didn't even know we were trying. So I remember feeling really scared that she kind of threw that diagnosis at me without really going into any detail. I took the blood test, did the ultrasound. It was confirmed that it was PCOS. She called me and said, I'm going to write you a script for Clomid. Take it as instructed by the pharmacist and call me if you get pregnant. And that was literally the conversation. And I, I was so confused. I, I tried to ask questions, but I, I didn't feel like she was listening too much. Um, and that's kind of when I started researching about reproductive endocrinologists and, and the specialists and the people who are there to, to really help at that stage. Um, and I was kind of like a lost puppy dog on Google, you know, searching for some yeah. answers at that point. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was very scary for me at that time because I didn't feel uh, properly introduced into the world of PCOS. It was more just like thrown at me, you know, from a moving van and then they went on their way. So. It was, I it feel was crazy. Like, yeah, that's so unfortunate because first of all, you're just learning something incredibly shocking about your body that you had no idea about. And then number two, they kind of treat it like, well, he, you should know how to handle it. And here's here's a quick fix. Yeah, exactly. And And that's kind of what I felt like it was. It was, here's the pills. Let me know if you get pregnant. If you don't, I'll prescribe you another another round of Clomid. And I was like, what, what is Clomid? What am I supposed to do? I, I really knew nothing. I filled the prescription, talked to the pharmacist. He gave me the instructions, um, still felt really lost. And I remember, um, you know, desperately searching for someone who would actually explain it to me. And that's when we found our, 
uh, specialist in our RE who was like an angel from, from heaven who helped us so much. So it was definitely a hard couple of weeks there when we were trying to find someone, but once we did, we were on the right track. So did you try the meds for some time? Or did you just decide, no, let me go get a second opinion? Yeah, I didn't even try the meds, honestly. They they kind of freaked me out because they said, okay, you know, it's going to help you ovulate because you're not ovulating. It was just, it was very sketchy to me, the way it was handled. So I didn't really want to take a medicine that I wasn't 100% confident in. So that's when I started seeking out the second opinion. And I'm so glad I did because once we found our RE, it was a completely different experience. I mean, he, we had an introductory call and he really introduced the science behind PCOS, why I'm feeling this way, asked me, um, you know, this is the reason why you're feeling so bloated. This is the reason why you're breaking out with the horrible hormonal acne, like explaining it to me in a way that I can understand it. Um, and then we started doing the tests and, and those were, extensive tests and, and they made sense once we went over the results and it was such a different experience than than with my OB and I was so yeah. grateful. I feel like when you find the right doctor you just kind of know that it's the right doctor you know like you don't feel like you weren't listened to or heard you know and that's always super important especially for something as uh, serious as fertility. I feel like you need somebody who's really um, invested in you and invested in whatever's going on with you and your partner. So what what kind of tests did you and your husband have to do? Yeah, so I did uh, more blood tests. Um, I feel like I've, I'm a pin cushion at this point, right? I've been poked and prodded, but um, did an ultrasound, some blood tests. My husband had his uh, semen analysis just to make sure that it wasn't male factors um, and it was it was all on on my side, uh, which it was. That was conclusive. It was very apparent. I had a ton of eggs in my ovaries, and that was kind of something that I could see right away on the ultrasound, which I had never had an internal ultrasound before this whole, whole ordeal. So getting an internal ultrasound and seeing it and, and him explaining it, that putting it into layman's terms, I, I could really resonate with. And I'm very grateful that we went that route to get the, all those tests because it was extensive and it took a couple of weeks, if I remember correctly, but it was so worth it to to understand what was going on inside of my body and actually like visualize it. I actually, I have a question that I didn't even have listed for you, but did during this time, well, it's actually kind of a two-parter. During this time, did anyone know that you were struggling? Yeah, so I went to the doctor um, and told my mom that was kind of the only person that I clued in. And that was more because I needed some support. My husband is um, an amazing person and so supportive, but to have a woman's support is a completely different <laughs> thing. And my mom actually had a couple of miscarriages. She had an ectopic pregnancy. So she had kind of been down a similar route. Um, I, so yes, I let her know that we were going to the doctor, but it was, it was only her that really knew the reasons why, um, and I kind of kept it close close to our hearts for a little while there. When you moved forward, this would be my second part because you only told your mom, and she's clearly going to be supportive because she's experienced similar things. Did you ever feel like anyone kind of brushed what you were going through off in a way of oh it it'll happen for you even though you've been diagnosed? Yeah. So after we were diagnosed and we decided to do a medicated cycle, I decided to let my sister know and my dad know and a couple of my close friends who, um, I mean, my friends and I probably overshare information with each other about our lives, but it was kind of, it just made sense to share with them. And my husband told, you know, his family, I think a lot of people were like, oh man, that sucks, but you're young. And I'm sure medication will fix it. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, that, that, was, that was also my way of thinking. I think thinking back, yes, people brushed it off, but it's not their fault because I also felt that way. And I also was brushing it off. I was like, yeah, you know, we'll take a couple pills and maybe a couple shots and then we'll be on our way and, and that's it. Um, so I don't think anyone truly understood the magnitude of the situation and that's no one's fault. 
I just think maybe they weren't exposed to this type of um, issue before with, I mean, you know, in your late 20s or mid 20s, not many of your friends are going through this maybe. So um, yeah, I mean, I would say people brushed it off, but I would also say that maybe my husband and I did also to start, which um, looking back now, I'm kind of, I kind of cringe at, but yeah. So um, what type of fertility treatments did you do after you did all of your testing? And then just kind of tell us how that went. Sure, so we did one round of a medicated cycle. Um, I took letrozole. I believe it is. I can't even remember. Um, I honestly was the type of patient that was like, I will take whatever you give me. Like, I won't even question it. Um, I, I just had full faith in my doctor. And so we did one round of a medicated cycle with a trigger shot um, that failed. And I um, kind of felt a little bummed. But to be honest, I was very happy because I got my period regularly. And that was, that to me was so big. I was like, okay, at least I'm, at least that's happening. So kind of talked to him again. And he was like, you know what, let's move on to an IUI because both my husband and I were like, we want to get pregnant yesterday. Um, we don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to say the word waste, but we don't want to go through months of a medicated approach and nothing come of it. And we were also kind of getting burnt out on sex. And that sounds so crazy to say as, you know, a 20-year-old married couple, but it was it was a lot. I mean, having sex to get pregnant is very different than having sex just to have sex. Yeah, it's not it's not the same <laughs> at all. Especially when you I never did a medicated cycle because we have male factors, so we can't. But um, I can totally understand the idea of, okay, it has to be done at this time. I mean, that's not very sexy <laughs> at all. It was, when it's like planned, like <laughs> it was the least romantic thing we've ever done. It was just and it and it felt so forced in a way. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to enjoy each other in a different way. And, and it, that just wasn't, it just felt weird. It was a weird time in our marriage when we had to schedule sex and so we weren't, we weren't happy with it. So we decided to move on to IUI and my doctor did prepare us saying, sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't, it really depends. Um, he, from day one was very honest with our chances, whether good, bad, ugly, um, and we tried that, that did not work as well. Um, that was around, I believe November around Thanksgiving, maybe right before Thanksgiving. And we had a meeting with him after that. And he said, okay, come in for an ultrasound. Let's check out your ovaries. Let's, let's chat. And we all sat down him, our practice manager, my husband and I, and we were like, listen, we're tired. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of money. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is like our, our medications are somewhat covered by insurance, but not all. And these, these doctor's appointments, because he was out of network for me was not covered. And so it became a lot and we kind of wanted to speed up the process. So we said, what's next? And then those three letters that you hear, but you never expect to go through came up IVF. And that was really scary for us. It was like, oh my gosh, those are the, like the big guns are being brought in. You know, you never really expect to go through that. I don't know. It was one of those things where we were very much at peace with the decision to go through with it. And, and it just made sense. Our doctor made us feel comfortable and it was kind of a no brainer decision. And we felt really good going into IVF. So that's what we decided to do in late November, early December. And I don't know. We just, we said, let's do it. <laughs> did you ever, did you go into it feeling like, okay, this is going to work? Oh like my 100%. gosh. A hundred percent. Like IVF, I think, and this is uh, something that the media and pop culture and society gets wrong is when I told people that I was going through IVF, like I very distinctly remember my dad saying, congratulations. And I was like, thank you. You know, like, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. This is great. We're going to get pregnant. And that's just not the case. IVF is not guaranteed. It's not a guaranteed baby. It's not guaranteed eggs. It's not guaranteed embryos. It's just not guaranteed. And I went into it thinking things are going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. Um, 
you know, first transfer baby, we've got this. And that was just not the case. But yeah, I absolutely went into it blindly and excited and prepared to get pregnant right away. And I was very naive in that in that way. Yeah, I think you're right with that the media and pretty much the entire world just thinks, oh, you're doing IVF? Oh, you're going to get pregnant. And so, I mean, I even recently had someone on on a video of me even explaining how what happened with my first IVF cycle. They go, well, why didn't it work? And I'm like, because it doesn't always work. <laughs> I mean, it's there's nothing, unfortunately, they can't force an embryo to implant. And even if, you know, even if it is PGS tested or not, they can't force that. So that's the thing is that there isn't, it's not a, it's not a hundred percent. And that's, I don't even, do you know what the percentage is? Because I always get it mixed up of like, what percentage of people actually get pregnant via IVF? I think it varies. I've heard um, percentages between 40% and like 60 or 70%. So I think it varies based on your diagnosis, your age, Um, but even those numbers, like 40 to 60%, let's say, that seems so small compared to what we assume. I, I, people think like, oh, you're going to be pregnant right away. Oh, you may, you're going to have twins. It's like, that's not the case for, for most people. I thought for, well, I think my entire family, they kept telling me, oh, you're going to have twins because I put two embryos in. And I was like, I'm going to have twins. And then... Because we had like so many fertilized and we were like, oh, we're going to have twins. And it and we still to this day don't have a baby. So it's like people don't realize it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. And it's and it's really heartbreaking, too, when people kind of um, talk you up that way and you get excited. Right. You you tell yourself, oh, I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to have twins. It's going to be great. And then that doesn't happen. Yeah. So then what happened after that? Yeah. So after that, my doctor gave us a call a couple of times in the week to nine days following up, giving us an update on our embryos. We had, we fertilized 21 of them and froze 29 eggs because he was like, Candace, you have, dude, there's no way. Like, I'm not like ethically, I'm not doing this. Uh, So I was more than happy to freeze some. And we kind of kept getting updates. We decided to do the genetic testing. And so we wanted to freeze the eggs. That was just kind of the smartest decision for us, given how many eggs I had. It was really hard on my body. So a fresh transfer was kind of out of the question. So we kind of just sat and waited and it was around Christmas time. And so that was a very odd Christmas for us because, you know, we were so happy. We got a lot of great embryos and we were so hopeful and, um, You know, we got word that some of them were genetically abnormal, but most of them were fine. We found out the gender and the sex and we were excited. It was it was a great couple of weeks there where we were on cloud nine. And then it was kind of like, okay, after the holidays, let's let's do this. You know, let's jump into a transfer. And that's kind of where things changed maybe a little bit in my mindset where I went from hopeful to nervous to realizing that this maybe could not work. And that was kind of where my mindset changed when I realized like, oh, we're really going to transfer an embryo. We're really going to do this. And oh crap, it may not work really was what I was thinking. (laughs) I feel like that time is such a hard time when you're kind of, you do your transfer and then that period of like, you know, 10 to 14 days of having to get the results back because you've basically done everything you possibly can and now it's just up to if it does or doesn't take and it's the worst feeling and then, you know, there's no really calming your mind during that time. There's no relaxing. It's just, you kind of just have to like sit in this, time period of being unsure. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, we when we received the news that like, okay, we're cleared to start the transfer prep, I thought, okay, here we go. Pills, you know, estrogen pills every day. That's great. And then the progesterone and oil shots came and those were so scary. And, and it was just such a weird time of preparing my body, but also kind of preparing my mind and my heart. And it sounds a little cheesy to say, but my husband and I were very much um, trying to prepare ourselves for the best, expecting the worst. Um, Sounds very morbid to say, but 
we started having that mindset shift of like, this is weird. We're kind of waiting. We don't know when we're going to transfer the embryo. We don't know if we don't know what we don't know, essentially. And my poor husband had to give me those PIO shots. And he was so terrified the night before. I don't think he slept the night before because we have to do them early in the morning. Um, and it was just such a weird time in our relationship to think about like, okay, we may be getting pregnant in a couple of weeks, you know, but here's what we have to do first. You have to take the pills and, and do the shots and um, you know, we were trying to keep our hearts guarded and, and our minds clear, but it was challenging. It was tough. So when you did your transfer, did you know what like gender you were transferring? We did. We were, I was very excited. My, my husband has always wanted a boy first and so have I. So I let him make that decision and I was perfectly happy with him, um, choosing a, a male embryo. So we did, we told our doctor we wanted the best graded male embryo. And he was like, perfect, let's do it. It was no problem. Um, everything leading up to the transfer was amazing. My, you know, once we got used to the progesterone shots, those were great. It wasn't until the transfer day that um, things got a little, a little weird. And I don't even know if I shared this with you in my original story, but my transfer was very, chaotic and I, I don't want to say traumatizing but it was it was very chaotic it, the the catheter wasn't going in properly because I have kind of a tilted uterus and the the ultrasound was hurting me um like because they were pushing on my bladder my bladder was too full it was just so chaotic that day it was a blur it, it was it's just so stressful and I remember leaving there feeling like you know they got the embryo in everything was fine I just left there thinking like that probably didn't go the way it was supposed to go. Aww. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. My doctor was a saint and kept a positive attitude the whole time and was like, Candace, you're doing great. Um, you know, thing, things are going to be okay. Like, I'm so sorry, I'm hurting you. Um, he was being very nice and very gentle as much as he could possibly be. But I remember thinking in the back of my head, like, I don't know if it was supposed to hurt and be that uncomfortable. And that was kind of the first time I thought like, oh no, you know, something may not, this may not work out <laughs> the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> so how did the next two weeks or however long you had until your beta day go. Yeah. So it was 10 days and it was, it was interesting. I, I took the approach that transfer that I wasn't going to test. I had in my mind that, um, I would rather live in my oblivious little cloud of happiness than, than know if there was a negative test or, uh, there was a positive test and then get my hopes up. I, I thought to myself, test the, the night before and test the morning of your beta. And then even then I told myself, whether you get a positive or a negative, it all comes down to your blood test. It doesn't mean much until you get your blood test. So those 10 days for me were hard, but I tried to distract myself. I think I rewatched Friday night lights, even though I've seen it like 97 times. Like I was just trying to distract myself with, with good TV and hanging out with my husband. And, you know, my family was very supportive. They knew all the details leading up to the transfer. And so did my closest friends. So they were very aware. They were checking in on me and I just tried to remain positive and, and think to myself, happy thoughts and, you know, send the, the best vibes to my body as possible. So it was, it was a hard 10 days, but I, I tried to keep myself busy. So, so what ended up happening on your beta day? Yeah. So I took a test the night before and I took the test the morning of, and they were both positive. They were not the strongest positives, but they were absolutely positive. So I walked in there with my head held high, super excited, but also super nervous and cautious that, you know, maybe it would be a low number and then th something would happen. So my beta day came, blood was drawn at, I think like 8am. So we had to wait from 8am to about like two. My husband was pacing in our backyard, just finding like random house tasks to do because he was so nervous. He took the day off of work. It was so sweet. You know, he was, he was very excited, but very nervous. Um, and they had called me and they, they said, you are pregnant and congratulations and your numbers look great. And 
amazing. And that was on a Friday. And that was like the best way for us to go into the weekend. It was, congratulations, you were pregnant. Your levels look great. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday for the follow-up beta. And, you know, I was, we were thrilled. It was the happiest phone call of our lives thus far. And um, so we went through that weekend with bliss. It was, I think, around um, Super Bowl weekend. So we hung out with our family and they knew right away because, like I said, at that point, the secrets idea and keeping a secret for them has long gone out the window. So um, everyone was aware. We were very excited. And then Tuesday came the day of the second beta. And that for us was when things went south. So I went in for my second beta and again, kind of in the oblivious cloud of, okay, well, I'm pregnant. So like, that's great. You know, never even occurred to me that something could go so wrong so fast. And I got my blood taken and I was waiting for the doctor to call two o'clock came around, which is normally the time when the doctor would make the call after lunch and he didn't call. And then three o'clock came around. <laughs> I had the same experience as you, you know, when they're going to give you bad news, because they typically call you earlier with good news, but way late in the day with bad. And it had been like three hours. And I was like, something's wrong. Like they're not calling me. <laughs> yeah, I knew in my gut that something was wrong when three o'clock rolled around and he hadn't called. And a lot of people were like, I mean, especially my mom, who is like the most positive person ever. She was like, no, I'm sure he's busy. But I had that gut feeling, you know, and, and it's true. They do kind of have their schedule and you, and you get to know your doctor's schedule when, when you talk to them so many times. And he eventually called me around 430 um, saying that my levels had dropped and I was going to you know, miscarry the embryo had a chemical pregnancy. And I remember on that phone call being like, what? I, I, I couldn't even form the sentences because I was, I think I was so shocked. And I remember saying to him very vividly, I don't remember saying much back to him, but I do remember saying, but we've already told our families. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? You know, like it never occurred to me that, you know, maybe don't tell your mom or your dad or, or, you know, your in-laws because something could happen. Um, and he kind of was, you know, so sweet and, and kind of talked me through it and, um, you know, coached me through what was going to happen in the next week or so, two weeks. And um, that's kind of when we, we learned that IVF is not a guarantee. <laughs> So did he just automatically say get off the medication or did he want you to come in for another test just to confirm that that was what was happening? Yeah. So I guess my, since my levels dropped so much, um, they had dropped like over half. Um, it was kind of like a, that's, you know, you're going to stop your medication right away. Um, but you are also going to come back for another blood draw and the time in between, I found out on the Tuesday and then he wanted me to come back on the Friday. So I had stopped the medication in between. Um, and that was so weird. I mean, we were doing progesterone shots at 6am for weeks up to that point. Right. So it was so bittersweet of, okay, great. We get to sleep in, but like, Oh, I would do anything to you know, have to get up at 6am to give that shot. It was a very foreign thing having to stop the medication so suddenly. Um, and I just remember calling my husband and telling him the, the news and explaining, okay, I have to stop my meds. And he was at work. And, you know, he just raced home. And I think my husband took it a little bit harder than I did. Um, because as a man watching a woman going through this, I think he felt helpless. Um, and that, you know, was the beginning of a very rough two weeks for the two of us. Um, thank God he was like my rock throughout that, but, you know, stopping the medication and then starting your cycle and going through all of that. It was, it was a very rough 10 to, to 14 days for us. Yeah, I can completely, I feel you there. And it's a really tough time once you've, you have that big high of, oh, this, all this work I did has paid off and now we're pregnant and it does work. And then 
it's so quickly reversed and so your emotions are just like one big roller coaster because you had a big high and then this huge low so what tips of advice would you give to somebody who's experienced a loss like this yeah i would say the biggest thing for me is i kind of felt like okay this was a very early loss so i don't have the right to grieve and i have to choose my words very carefully because what i thought in that moment is not what i feel now um, but I kind of thought to myself, okay, Candace, there's so many women who have it so much worse, right? You, you get to your 11, 12, 14 week mark, and then you lose your baby or you have a stillbirth or, you know, there's just so many women who have it worse. Um, and so I, I think for a couple of hours there and thank God it was brief, but for a couple of hours there, I didn't really give myself the full permission to, to grieve and to be sad about it. Um, so my biggest piece of advice was allow yourself to feel those things. Um, it is, it's a valid loss. And I think both people who are going through it and their support system need to acknowledge it as such. Um, just because it was a chemical pregnancy as opposed to, um, a miscarriage that happened later in the first trimester or whenever in a pregnancy, it's still valid and it still hurts and it stings and no one can take that from you. And it's important to really take care of yourself in that moment and whatever you need, whether that's all of your family around you and all of your friends around you or no one, but your partner around you. I think it's important to honor your feelings and validate them and have the people around you validate them as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So where are you now on your journey? Yeah. So after our chemical pregnancy, my doctor was like, okay, Candace, like, you know, let's, let's chat. What's, what's next? And I had a hysteroscopy and they found a polyp, which I think they determined was probably the reason I miscarried was just because, um, that had developed and that kind of went unnoticed in between the time of my starting my, my prep and, and my transfer. And um, I, I don't know. I was just kind of like, let's do this. Like, I, I want to go into another one. And my husband didn't skip a beat either. He was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so we decided to keep it a secret, but we actually did an embryo transfer on April 6th, which is what, or was our two year, uh, marriage anniversary, which was very exciting. We didn't plan it that way. It just kind of worked out that it happened on our anniversary. Um, and I am currently, as we talk today, 11 weeks pregnant and due December 23rd. So have a Christmas baby cooking. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so yeah. exciting. Yeah. It's super exciting. It was one of those fun little secrets that my husband and I hadn't had in this whole entire, entire journey of trying to conceive and literally not a soul knew. Like, I think maybe I told one of my good friends because I couldn't hang out with them because I was quarantining with COVID and all that stuff before my transfer. And so I had to tell them, um, I kept blowing them off for like brunch and I felt so bad, but literally outside of that, no one knew. And it was such a magical time to prepare and to have this little secret and, um, just kind of be in our own little bubble. It was, it was so great. And we're so grateful that it, it worked the second time we, are over the moon and it's it's one of those things where it's a very bittersweet happiness of you know we're we're grateful and, and just so excited but also very much keep in mind the people who are walking in the footsteps that I was a couple of months ago and it's just such a heavy heavy thing to kind of feel like you're moving on from one community to another um so yeah that's kind of where I am right now it's a weird transition of I'm almost in my second trimester, so I'm, by the time this airs, we'll have announced it, but um, also feel very tied to the IVF community and the infertility community and feel like such a tug on my heartstrings for, for all those women and men walking through it. So I have two questions for you and you can, you don't, you don't have to answer one of them if you're, if you don't want to, but Two questions. So as we speak right now, does anybody know? Because I know you're going to be announced. This comes out way after you announce. But um, does anyone know that you are pregnant currently? Or is it still a secret? So people do know. It's only my close friends and our family. Um, okay. I have been very selective this time around who to tell. Because 
after, I mean, I have always been very vocal about, hey, we're going through IVF. Hey, I had my egg retrieval. Like, even on my social media, because I kind of felt like it wasn't, shouldn't have been a secret. So when I had my first uh, chemical pregnancy and we did all that, I told people, I was very vocal about it. Um, and this time around, I was like, no, I'm going to want to keep this one to ourselves and keep it in our close little bubble. So our families know. Um, I don't even think our extended families know, like aunts and uncles. I've kind of left that up to my parents to decide when they're they're ready to tell. Um, but yeah, some people know and some some don't. It's been, again, one of those secrets that is super fun to keep. So I'm excited to let everybody know when it comes. <laughs> So the other question is, um, and this is the one where you don't have to tell me, but do you know for sure what the gender is? Did you decide to do a boy again? Or do you not want to answer? <laughs> no, I, I'm more than happy to answer. I'm super, uh, I'm such an open book with, with these kinds of things. But we actually transferred two, and it was a boy and a girl, and only one stuck. We have both, I think both attempted to implant because I had two gestational sacs in the first ultrasound, but one was empty and then one had the baby in it. So we do not know. I literally got my blood test and did an ultrasound yesterday. Um, So we will find out in a few short weeks. I'm so anxious to find out because, you know, going, going into the first one of like, okay, we're going to do a boy. Perfect. And then this one, we were like, well, let's do one of each and whatever happens, happens. Um, It's just so weird. And it feels so foreign that like it's out of our hands because with IVF, so much is in control of the doctor and and what you decide. So we're really excited to figure it out. It's kind of, it makes it feel like normal. (laughs) And I hate to say normal, but you know, most people don't get to choose the, the sex of their, their child. So for us to kind of go through this, it's, it makes it fun for us. So do you find out the gender in when you announce it or do you, are you announcing it before you know? I'm probably going to announce it before I know. I'm My husband did not want to do a gender reveal. He's super low key in that way and just wanted to like read the email together. And, and I kind of overruled that. I was like, we worked too hard for this baby to not celebrate it every step of the way. So I will announce that I'm pregnant and then um, we will have a very small gender reveal that one of my best friends and the one of like my rocks throughout this whole infertility journey and IVF journey, she is getting the results and she's kind of going to help organize a, a little something so that we can celebrate um, and just kind of find out what it is. And I'm very anxious to find out. <laughs> That's so exciting. I, I was again, my husband and I both, he might still be, but my husband and I both were against gender reveals, but after so long now, I'm like, you know what? We deserve to celebrate every moment of this if this works out. So now I'm like, maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it, why is that necessary? But when you're in the position and you're, you understand how hard it is and you've walked this long and lonely and treacherous path towards parenthood and you, if you get there, I mean, it's, you should celebrate every step of the way. And so that's kind of been my my thought process on it. <laughs> so what are some things that you wish others knew about infertility who've never struggled? Yeah, I mean, I could go on for like an hour on this, but I would say the biggest thing is a, a kind of an umbrella statement is you really should be careful what you say to individuals when they open up to you about their struggles. And I, like I said, I was very open. Um, I posted on my Instagram, like, Hey, we're going through fertility treatment. Hey, we're doing IVF. Hey, we had a chemical pregnancy. Like I was always very open. And when speaking to people, I think a lot of times they didn't realize the weight of their words. So, you know, and I'm sure you, you've been there where it's just go on vacation, just maybe drink a couple of drinks, maybe stop thinking about it. Maybe stop trying. Um, at least you're young at least you know you can get pregnant. Like all of those little lines that I I am 100% confident they never meant any harm by saying, those words carry such a weight in women and men going through infertility. It's one of those things where you know that they didn't mean it in in a mean way or a bad way, but you just can't get those words out of your head because I can't just 
have a couple of drinks and go on vacation. Like that's not an option. And I'm so glad that worked for you. But unfortunately for me, um, I don't ovulate on my own and I can't do that. So, you know, those little things of like, maybe just take a step back and think about what you're saying. Um, of course, being there for your friends and your family members is challenging. I have the world's best friends and the best family and the best in-laws. And um, it, it was never a factor for, for me personally, but I can only imagine how lonely it can feel if people maybe don't understand um, and don't validate your feelings. So I think validating your your loved one's feelings for what they're going through and just being there, whether it's shooting them a text of, hey, I'm thinking of you or I had a really good friend who lives in Colorado kind of text me and was like, Hey, I'm visiting. And I was like, okay, cool. Like it it was kind of, you know, one of those weekends where we just hung out and ate and drank and it was exactly what I needed in that, in that moment. Um, Just be there for them in whatever way that looks like for them and for your relationship with them. I just think that that goes a long, long way. Yeah. I, everything you said is just like totally spot on. Like, being there to support someone, but not only supporting them in the way that makes you comfortable, but supporting them in a way that's actually helpful to what they're going through, like not brushing them off or invalidating their experience or their struggle or their loss even is just so important. And I mean, like I do my best to try, I know I can't educate people and change people's minds on what to say. I do my best to try to do it. And even still, there are people out there who are like, well, what am I supposed to say? Fine. I just won't say anything. And it's like, good. Don't say anything. <laughs> you know, that's Please so don't. <laughs> I, I found you through TikTok and I, <laughs> I mean, the TikTok algorithm does not miss, right? Like it gives you exactly what you need to see. And I remember watching your videos and resonating with them and then just reading the comments. And that's when I would be like, oh, like some people, you know, like, and and I remember, I don't know whether it was on your video or someone else's where people were like, well, what am I supposed to say? Like everyone's so sensitive and it's like, okay, you know, yes, we are sensitive, but for good reason. And if you don't know what to say, like you said, don't say anything. It's not that hard. Um, or ask like, what would you need from me right now? Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it's hard. Yeah, my husband and I were like, I think it's just so hard for people, a lot of people to show any kind of empathy. And if it's too much work for them, then they're like, well, you know what? Like I said what I said and you can either accept it or be emotional about it. And it's like, well, that's not okay. Like I shouldn't, I don't want to put up with your sass or like your you know, lack of empathy or sympathy. You know, I just, I mean, I literally had one girl in a more recent one say, well, actually I did have a lot of friends who just stopped trying and they got pregnant. So it does work more than you think. And I replied to her and I was like, that's great for them. But the majority of people comes from, you know, male factor, female factor, unexplained or both. And she's like, well, maybe she's like, maybe you just need to be more grateful for what people say instead of being mad about it and I'm like you why should anyone be grateful about someone invalidating their struggles yeah no that's (laughs) that's absolutely insane no it's I think a lot of people are uncomfortable around the conversation as well um and that's their way of trying to get out of the uncomfortable conversation is like well my friend you know I remember when it took us six months to get pregnant or I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. And I'm super happy for you and your friend, but, um, their experience is not my experience and my experience is not their experience. And I think a lot of people shy away from having the real conversation and offering some advice, um, is the only way for them to relate to your, your story. And I found that with April fools, like April fools for me this year, I was like, no one talked to me because I hated seeing the fake pregnancy announcements. And I remember like, even my family and my husband were like, Candace, you can't take that personally. And I'm like, no, like it's, it's not a personal thing. It's more like me being protective of like this community yeah. that I, that how, I'm a part of. How I feel about that is nobody can, is in control of your triggers. So if pregnancy law, or I'm sorry, if pregnancy tests are triggering, however, 
If you know someone who's struggling, why would you joke about being pregnant knowing that that is like one of the top triggers of people struggling? You know, like <laughs> to me, that's that's kind of the message that I try to give people is you can do whatever you want and you're nobody technically um, should be responsible for your triggers. However, if you are aware of someone you know who might be on your friends list, maybe take a second thought and go, maybe I shouldn't post this joke today because it's not funny. <laughs> it's First of all, it's old, get a new joke. Second of all, it's like not funny. So like that's kind of the message I'm always trying to say to people is like, I know you're not responsible for me, but like think about it for a second. Yeah. Just maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of people maybe don't think about those things. Um, and like I said, I brushed our situation off in the beginning. So that's to no one's fault, maybe just because people are unaware. And I always say the people who make the most hurtful comments, I hope that they are never in the position to understand why it's so hurtful. Um, I would never wish this on anybody to go through IVF or, you know, month after month having the negative pregnancy test and, and um, you know, going through chemical pregnancy. I would never wish that on anyone, but I just wish that they would maybe take a second to understand and to think um, about what they're saying. But, you know, people are going to say weird stuff on the internet, especially. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your videos and your posts are helping more people than the, the, the hateful comments. So I'm, I'm so grateful that there are people who are talking about it because I think it's a conversation that needs to be out there. It needs to, people need to talk about it. Let's discuss fertility. Let's not shy away from it. If you're struggling, you should know that there's a community behind you. So I, I hope that those hateful comments are shushed and muted by all the supportive ones. Frankly, what I've learned too by just by doing all of these videos and stuff is the hateful comments, I don't even have to respond to. I know somebody else will take care of that for me. So I've kind of learned like, you know what, let's ignore it. And typically when someone comes to argue with you, you're never going to change their mind, unfortunately. And that's not really the point of the videos I make anyway. It's more to like educate, not change your mind make make you think a little bit but yeah pretty much what I've learned is you know what whatever like other people will take care of it for me <laughs> it, it's not uh, it's absolutely. not my job <laughs> yeah and you know what people will take care of it for you because something that I've learned um you know I've had to step away from like the online communities a little bit because sometimes they get a little too intense but what I learned is those women and men in those communities and in the infertility community um in, in whatever aspect that is, like you mentioned, male, female factors, whatever it is, they have your back because we, and I, I love the saying of, it's the worst club with the best members because it, it, it sucks. And like, I don't want anyone to join this club with me, but like with open arms, I will accept anyone who's going through this and educate them in however way they want and be there for them. So I don't doubt it for one second that the people who are on your side will quickly come to your side and, and reply to those comments and, and be there for you. Because really, I mean, people have each other's backs more than any group I think I've ever yeah. um, been a part of. Once again, thank you, Candice, so much for coming on and sharing your story. And if you are a listener out there who would like to come on and share your story with infertility, pregnancy loss, fertility treatments, and everything in between, make sure to email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and I will see you guys in the next episode. <laughs>